coming up on J Sky Chat the podcast. J Sky Chat the podcast. J Sky Chat the podcast. Well, the short answer to that is I haven't really coped, and what happened is like I just burnt out. There was a cost, and the cost was my health. Thank you for listening to J Sky Chat, the podcast. Please like, favourite, and subscribe, and follow me at J Sky Chat on social media. And be sure to check out worldofjsky.com for all things J Sky. Today I'm joined by my friend who has done so much for the body positivity movement as well as for children as well. I first met this incredible lady whilst filming Naked Beach which was a Channel 4 show encouraged to help us love our bodies no matter what our shape or size. She's got a fantastic book coming out as well which I've kindly been asked to feature in. How are you Molly? I'm so well, it's so lovely to see your face and talk to you. It's, it's, yeah, I'm good. This is nice. I just can't stop smiling because I've missed you. I haven't seen you in ages. And it's like a little ray of sunshine in my day. Oh, thank you, Molly. This is strange. Have you adjusted to the whole Zoom interaction thing yet? Because I'm still finding it so bizarre. I'm like an old man. I, well, I feel like I get Zoom fatigue because I'm on Zoom a lot, like for meetings and interviews and stuff. And it's definitely not the same as in real life um and I think the thing that I find tricky with zoom like it's amazing that we've got this technology that we can connect with people is incredible and I I don't know how I would have coped without it this past year but I am so sick of seeing my own face looking back at me when I'm like talking do you know what I mean yeah and that's there's like really interesting research around body image and how like being on zoom is impacting students at school impacting their academic performance and also their self-esteem because they're constantly like self-objectifying themselves they're like looking at themselves on a screen and it takes you out of your body and your mind and you like you kind of lose I guess it's like being in a meeting and sitting in front of a mirror like it would be quite (laughs) off-putting so I'm kind of over that but um it is it is still an amazing way to connect and I did love that whole um Jackie Weaver zoom zoom thing that got because I just thought like it was so funny for so many different reasons but it was the it was the thing of like Julie's iPad that was the bit (laughs) that was the moment (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and like the, the the camera angles where it's like like looking upwards like you know and like the, you know I've been on so many zooms with like my in-laws and it's like you can see like the top of someone's head <laughs> we can all relate <laughs> yeah I want to talk to you about your story because what a journey it's been right before Naked Beach, I believe you were doing lots of bits on the radio tell me about that side of your history so I started off as a journalist so I did I did like oh gosh 2006 I graduated with um I did like a postgrad 
um, in broadcast journalism um, after my degree. And once I had that qualification, I started off straight away working in radio as like a reporter. And then after like six months of I was working up in Hull for a radio station up there as a reporter. And after six months there, I moved down to um, a radio station that was based in Reading and it covered the whole of Berkshire. And it ended up becoming a heart station they all the radio company got bought by the company that own heart and I basically worked my way up through the ranks so I started off there as like a reporter writing news bulletins and reading news bulletins like during the day and then I got promoted to doing like the breakfast news and I was like the 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 a breakfast news reader and then I became like the girl on the breakfast show because it was all blokes that I was working with and they needed like a female voice and actually we all got on really well and had a laugh and that chemistry was like on the radio and then I became a mum and had my first daughter this is like 10 years ago now and I got headhunted after a year or so of like doing bits of freelance radio like reporting again and writing from home and I got um picked up and I got my first like proper radio presenting job and I did that um was presenting a breakfast show for heart still a different heart station and I did that for like 18 months or two years and then I left that job and we moved to Devon and that was ended that was how I ended up kind of moving into doing more more freelance work more writing work working online building a bit of an online um, kind of platform and still doing bits and pieces for other people, but not just doing radio at that point. Well, I want to ask you about this, actually, because you mentioned that at the time when you first were getting into radio, they were keen to find a bit more diversity and a female presenter. Like I'm in a situation now where I seem to be getting more work on the radio and people might possibly think that that's because they're specifically looking for a type that ticks a certain box have you ever thought that maybe that's something that's giving you an unfair advantage or do you just think at the end of the day if you've got the talent you can do anything you want oh that's such a good question I mean that's (laughs) like that that could relate to everything couldn't it because I think that I mean I know like I remember for example when I was a teenager and my dad was um he he was a teacher and he he was like an assistant head teacher and he was going for a job as a head teacher And at that point in the 90s, there was a lot of like buzzword and talk around this idea of positive discrimination, particularly when it came to um, gender equality. So I remember my dad going for this job and he didn't get the job. And one of the reasons that they gave was that they were specifically looking for a female head teacher. They didn't want a male. And I remember like back at the time thinking that's unfair like my dad didn't get the job if he was a woman he would have got the job actually like I remember having a conversation with my dad about it actually like it's this whole privilege conversation and I think that sometimes it might seem like people are getting you know I don't know it's such a I believe in diversity and equality and I believe that everyone should have the same chances Whatever we're talking about, you know, whether we're talking about health, education, career. But the point, the problem is everyone doesn't have the same chances in life. And because of, you know, all these systems of oppression, um, sexism, racism, transphobia, whatever form of oppression we're looking at, 
people don't have the same chances. So I think actually we do need to elevate, you know, certain people who are in marginalised communities. And I, when I got my job as a radio presenter, they were specifically looking for a female voice on, on the show. But I still don't think it still wasn't equal because I, I know I wasn't paid the same as the blokes on the show. And actually, I was being, you know, often being expected to do like a, a bigger job because they were radio presenters um, with a different kind of contract. And I was like an employee. So I was writing the news and reading the news. But I was also doing bits of presenting, but I wasn't getting paid like the same. But I still feel really grateful for having had that opportunity because I learned loads doing that job and I had a really great time doing it. Would I have got that job if I had been a man? Probably not, because they were specifically looking for a female voice on the show. Do I think that that's unfair? No, because I was still really good at my job and I think I brought something to the show that no one else would have been able to bring, just in the same way that, you know, everyone has their own unique talents. Already, this is such a great conversation and what you're saying resonates so hard with me because it's like on the one hand will people criticize you for having the opportunity that they want but then on the other hand it's like well you're working twice as hard and you're doing twice as well with it so it's about using the opportunities that you've got to get to where you want to be and one of the ways you've done this which led to you being on naked beach is to really champion everyday bodies and all over your instagram you show things that might provoke a reaction in some people it might be an area of the body that they're not comfortable with it might be about how they're feeling and I'm guessing off the back of that you've had a mixture of responses both positive and negative how do you handle the shock factor and obviously getting a bad message as well in that process um god being on the internet is a bit of a ride isn't it I feel um I go through like real I go through like real mixed feelings with it because I am a really sensitive person and as much as I'd like to be able to say I don't care what people think of me it's my truth you know I believe in what I'm doing anytime I get a negative comment or message or you know any any kind of negative obviously it does impact me because I'm a human being and I have feelings and I think all of us as human beings we just want to belong it's in our natural nature as humans. We need that social interaction. We need to be like, you know, approved by, you know, we want to feel, we want to feel connected. And actually there's really interesting um, research like science where they did this big study and they found out that when you're socially rejected, the same part of the brain lights up as when you experience pain. So actually, I think that um, sometimes this kind of, there's a real kind of feeling online that we should sort of not care what other people think of us. And we should continue to be strong and own our truth and, and, you know, don't listen to the haters, don't feed the trolls, all of that kind of messaging, which I think is important. But I think that actually there's a step in there that's missing because what we need to first of all do before we can get to that point is validate those feelings when we do feel crap, when we get, you know, given abuse online. And the thing that helps me is knowing that often when I'm the subject of nastiness, like it is often more about the person who's who's giving it than than me. Like it's either their perception of who I am, you know, and 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 that doesn't mean that that is who I am. That's a perception of who I am. Or it's, I've said something that has triggered them or, 
you know, I've like it's it, it's often they might be having a bad day. And so thinking about it like that helps me come to those kind of interactions with more compassion, both for myself and for the other person. Um, that said, I, I don't have like a huge online platform. And I know that, um, you know, I have like the kind of abuse and nastiness I've experienced online is a tiny proportion of what so many of my friends get, you know, and I think that, um, like, I, I don't know how I would cope if it was if it was constant and relentless. I don't know. I guess you just have to kind of find ways to cope with that kind of relentless nastiness. And I think that would be a different thing. It all falls in line with where you assign emotion and and what your purpose for going online is. So, like, if, if you go online and you're looking for people to love you then that's going to leave a space for people to attack you. And if you go in there already fully fulfilled, you've got a good foundation, you might not take the same inference from those messages as well. So it's, it's hard because if we're in a lockdown, the internet is our only way for many people to interact with people that they know and love and miss. But at the same time, it's like, how do you navigate through all of the good and the bad? So I, I like what you said. Um, it, it definitely does help to, to, to limit the time that you spend online as well. But moving aside from the internet, how do you think that Molly today would have been on Naked Beach had you gone back and done it now? Yeah, I think that, I think like even just in the last, even in like the last five years, the last 10 years, like we're always growing, we're always learning new things. And I've really made an effort over the last kind of five years to really, really kind of hone what I'm interested in and learn more about just the world so I you know I I read a huge amount of books and do loads of interviews with amazing people and read a lot of research studies around you know body image and mental health and self-esteem with a particular focus on children and I know a lot more now about that subject than I did when I filmed Naked Beach when we filmed that show in 2018 um but I think that like my overall kind of message still is the same and that overall feeling that I feel inside is the same as the feeling that I took onto the show which was the way that we look and our outward outward appearance is not where our value lies in the world and that's what I thought then and I even think I remember having conversation with you about this like we were having like a deeper meaningful chat about this in the kitchen I think in, in the villa <laughs> And and I feel that now and I knew that in my thing. But I think that you can know something and feel it and then you can really live it. And I think that I knew it and felt it when we filmed that show. But now these years on, having done even more learning and more learning about myself and discovering, having done therapy and really kind of, I feel like I live it in in even more of a way. You know, I feel like I was kind of almost... When, I, when we filmed that show, like I'd been learning about this subject and going on my own journey of kind of self-acceptance for maybe like a year or so. So it was still fairly new to me, but I'm much further along in that process now. And it is a process because you don't ever get to that, like some end, end point. It's not like a destination that you finally get to like, you know, the end of the road like it is a constant process it's constantly going up and down um and I think like 
obviously with Naked Beach, there very much was a beginning and a middle and an end for, for the guests who went on that show. And the end was like, this is your end process. You're now body confident. Like, hurrah, you've reached it. Because it's a TV show and they have to show that kind of... And, and that that's not to say that that isn't what happened, but it was a short moment over like just a space for a few days. But life is more than just a few days. And it is a constant process and a constant having to go back to what your values are and go back to why you do what you do and why you believe what you do. And, you know, with the internet, for example, why you're showing up, what is your why? Why are you showing up online? Why you, what is it that motivates you? Um, And I think that I've found my purpose more so than ever in like the last few years, but even more so like in just in like the last 18 months, you know, or even just in the last year with the pandemic. (laughs) So you're saying about finding our why and what makes us happy, what resonates with us the most. A lot of people still don't know that. And I think a lot of the reasons they don't know is because we're surrounded by so many distractions and we get sucked into being part of someone else's why. I want to ask you what your why is, even though I probably already know what it is. But um, what is your why and how did you find out what your why is? I want... All I want all people, but even more so all children, to know that they are good enough just as they are. And that where their worth lies is not in the outward shape of their, you know, their body or their appearance. And I want them to know that for themselves and I want them to know it for other people. And I want us as a society to treat everyone in a kinder, more accepting way. And I think that you know while we've made incredible gains we're also going backwards in some ways and that scares me and so my why is to try and put a bit of kind of compassion and self-acceptance and understanding back and bring the nuance back into this conversation um and help adults help the kids in their care be friends with their bodies like that is ultimately what is driving me and I focus on children because I'm a mum but because also so many of the people that I speak to have had a whole lifetime of struggles with this stuff and I think that if we can get it right with children then we might help them avoid experiencing a lifetime of struggles if we can get it right straight from the beginning and there are so many things that we're getting wrong at the moment inadvertently just through lack of understanding and if we can just fix some of those things then we might help avoid a whole generation of children feeling at war in their bodies no absolutely and you can see how happy our children are is definitely a correlation to the style of parenting that you've adopted but there is a theory that children choose their parents before they're born so i wanted to flip that on you and say what would you say is the greatest lesson that your children have have taught you and also when you're saying some of the biggest bugbears about things that are going wrong what would you say some of those are that you can see um so in terms of lessons that my kids teach me i have i have a real tendency to get like caught up in whatever it is that i'm doing and lose sight of the bigger picture and so i really have to like monitor myself and watch myself for example with how much I'm working because I care so passionately about everything that I do I have a real tendency to like hours can be gone and I'm still at my laptop and I haven't even realized you know like I wrote 
my book in in a in the pandemic while homeschooling the kids and like working like late late into the night and I sometimes lose sight of the bigger picture and my children help remind me of that because I I'm constantly remind seeing them growing in front of my eyes and I'm seeing them changing and playing and kids are so good at living in the moment getting absorbed in an activity that doesn't it's not productive for any reason other than that they just enjoy doing it and that inspires me to you know sometimes do those things for myself and it doesn't have to be productive it doesn't have to be anything that you're going to you know use it can just be doing something for the sake of doing it because you enjoy doing it and kids are so good at that and that's what my kids kind of constantly remind me of and they help me get that bigger picture remember that life life is I know it's such a cliche but life is short <laughs> it's it is short and and children when you've got kids like and you see like a picture of them from six months ago and you see how much they've changed it reminds you you know, even when the days feel like they're stretching on forever and you're in lockdown and you're like, oh my God, do we even like each other anymore? Like when you look back at a picture of like six months ago and you can see, you know, how much your kids have changed just in that time, it makes you realize, gosh, you know, time, it does, it does, it, it doesn't hang around forever. Um, so yeah, I think that that's, that's what my kids, that's what I've learned from my children. Um, and what was the, the other question was, where children are getting can you see a foot that's my daughter's foot that just came on on screen she's sitting next to me at the moment (laughs) um what was the other question was where the negative message is coming from yeah so what because you said there's a number of things that we can possibly do better or that are going wrong what would you say some of those things are that stand out to you um i think the most obvious issue is the way that we talk to children about health So, for example, a lot of um, so the national curriculum has certain things that they have to cover in school and children have to learn about healthy eating. Um, But the problem is a lot of a lot of teachers don't have the um, knowledge or support or information or resources to necessarily deliver those lessons. So they're coming at it from their own stuff, their own internalized biases. They're making um assumptions that you know we often see in like mainstream society that assume that for example in order to be healthy you have to look a certain way and those messages are being perpetuated and and it's not like recognizing the huge complexity around you know why someone is the weight they are is not just because of the food that they eat for example you know like there are so many different factors that affect people's weight but also there are so many different ways that we can look after our health that have nothing to do with nutrition and movement and like yeah sure what we eat and the way that we move our body is important but that's important for everyone regardless of what size you know or shape you are um but there are also so many other things that we need to do to look after our health and we're not we're not talking about those things. So we're not talking to kids about, you know, how to create positive boundaries around social media and how, you know, sleep is a really important aspect of health. When we're talking about healthy living, so much of the time the focus is on, you know, eating vegetables, not eating chocolate. And it's just this really binary, oversimplified view that then can make children grow up to learn that one type of body is better than another. 
And when I say better, I mean they're learning that one type of body is healthier than another and therefore more worthy of love and respect and compassion. And that is why we see children in higher weight bodies getting more likely to be bullied in the playground. And that's why we see children of all shapes and sizes starting to worry about the shape of their body at a really early age, as young as three in some cases, because they're getting these messages from the adults around them. And it's not that the adults around them are wanting to do harm. They don't know any better. Um, and so that's what I'm kind of trying to... That's one of the things that, that, that I'm working to try and deal with. No, no, absolutely. And it also plays into why representation matters and why Naked Beach was successful in what it set out to achieve. Obviously, that was the first time I got to meet you and I really loved getting to know you and working with you. How was the experience of doing Naked Beach for you? How would you summarise that experience and what did you think of working with me for the first time? I loved working with you. I remember chatting with you at the airport and feeling... It was weird because when the first time that we kind of met everyone was literally as we were getting on the plane and it was like, okay, we're going to be spending a month in close proximity, like literally naked with each other and we've never met each other before. Like I hadn't met anyone on any casting days or anything like that. I hadn't been involved in any of that. So um, it was kind of... It was it was nerve wracking, but I felt like there was an instant like connection in and camaraderie, and particularly like I felt instantly like really comfortable and connected with like you and Charlotte, who've remained really good friends. Um, and you know, I've seen Dan a lot. You know, so I haven't seen him in a while, but there was yeah, it was kind of it was for me like doing the show was a ma it was a huge decision because it was the first time I'd ever left my kids you know for that yeah. length of time and from having been a work at home mum I do every school run I'm really close with my kids you know I spend a lot of time with them and then to like be walking away like not just to be going to like a nine to five job where they were going into childcare more but I was literally not going to even be in the country um, and my youngest was really little at the time. She was only just three. Um, and that was, so that was like a really, really big decision to go and to leave them. But I think also in a way, it helped me remember who I was away from being a mum. Because for, you know, three, four years, I had been only like mum. That was like my whole identity. And so to then be in a different country and like able to like be with people who didn't know me in that capacity, you know, didn't know me as mum, you know, like even like, you know, like this is often a thing. So like mums, like when you meet other mums at like playgroup or whatever, like you'll you'll put their number in your phone and their number in your phone will be like, I don't know, like Sophie's mum blah 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 and you remember you forget what that person's name is you only know them as so and so's mum and I like so many people in my life only knew me as like Freya and Effie's mum <laughs> you know and and I was able to you know remember who I was away from that you know and away from just you know being at home and being the person that kind of looks after everyone although it was interesting because I think I did kind of fall into that role still on naked beach even though <laughs> even though there were no children I did often like you know like want to like make cups of tea for people or empty the dishwasher or just kind of make myself useful or be there for people um in that kind of mothering kind of capacity oh, I get what you're saying like it reminds me of when I went to university 
that first experience you get where no one knows who you are or what, what you're about or what you come from. You get to, to reintroduce yourself with the world. And it makes me often think about just deleting all social media and starting again. But I think I'm too far down the rabbit hole to do that now. <laughs> but I want to ask you about um, the whole concept of juggling and keeping busy to be successful. Obviously, you've done a book during lockdown. You're still a stay-at-home mum and your kids have had to be homeschooled. How have you coped with juggling everything and how do you see this year going? Um, well, the short answer to that is I haven't really coped because when I was actually writing the book, although it was I loved writing the book and it was amazing doing it, I was also working all my other work, all my other jobs. So I was working like 70 hour weeks. And wow. what happened is like, I just burnt out. And I ended up getting really low and like not getting enough sleep and just not looking after myself properly. And ended up having a bit of a, a well, it wasn't a breakdown, but I felt like I just wasn't myself. And yeah. I felt like I needed help to find to just like find that kind of balance again um and so I started therapy which was amazing that was like the, it was that was a definite positive that came from last year because it helped me feel like myself again um yeah. and I think that what I've learned from that experience is that I I have real like mixed feelings with this culture of like hustle yeah like you know like we're taught and I think like often, particularly this, these messages can come for women who are like juggling being a mum with all of these other things. And we're taught that we can do everything and that all our dreams are within our grasp. And, you know, we see other people online, you know, quote unquote, bossing it, slaying it, you know, all of these kind of words. And it really like promotes this I feel like it's promoting like this burnout culture where we do d go for everything and do all this. Like, you know, we have a nine to five job and then, uh, you know, five to nine p.m. job. And then we might do another job after that. You know, like we do have all of these. And we're constantly like showing our glossy side on social media and showing all of our wins. And we're not necessarily showing the cost that comes with that. And so I'm really keen to kind of say there there is a cost that comes with it. Like the cost is that writing the book was incredible and I'm, I don't regret it for one second. I really hope that it will help people. And it's the biggest thing that I've ever done in my career, but it's not, aside from my children, it's the biggest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, and I'll never forget writing it because of the circumstances that I was writing in it, writing it in. But there was a cost and the cost was my health. You know, it, the cost was I missed loads of time with my children while I was writing it because I couldn't physically be everywhere at once. Um, so, I mean, I guess I have to remind myself constantly that I'm only one person. Everything doesn't have to happen today. You know, I can I might have really big, ambitious ideas of all these things I want to achieve, but I have to kind of have a plan to get there. And it takes a whole team of people to make stuff happen. Because in the past, I've definitely tried to do everything on my own. And I've tried to, like, look after everyone and put everyone else first. And, like, then also, you know, start a podcast and go on a TV show and write a book and do it. And I'll just do it all on my own. Actually, it's not possible to do everything on your own, especially when you're raising children and you're part of a family. You need whole... It's that whole, like, 
um, another massive cliche, but it takes a village. But it is true. It takes more, you know, it takes a village, it takes a whole team of people. So whether that is, you know, your family, you know, your partner or your, your parents or your close friends or other people around you helping. And then also having friends to be able to talk to openly who are going to like lift you up and cheer you on and remind you of your purpose and remind you that you're doing a good job. You know, having that kind of community of support is so important. It is not possible to do everything on your own. And it is not possible. This idea, I just disagree with this idea that it's, you know, that we should always be striving for more, more, more to achieve more and more and more. Because I feel like what can sometimes happen is that happens at the detriment of people's health, you know, and um, and we can lose sight of why we're doing things. Absolutely. I am so guilty of in the past just trying to do everything. And like you say, sometimes we try and do it on our own, like I do events and do... I've got a full-time job still, so I'm still juggling that on top of radio, on top of everything else. And um, it does make a difference, the circles you are in. And being in this lockdown, at first I thought, oh, it'll be a nice little break. And when it first started, I, was, I found myself able to juggle more things because I didn't have to travel. So I could do everything via, via Zoom and online and over the phone. But I just, I, you get to a point where it's like, actually, you, you notice it's affecting your health. And as a result, I've made more informed choices about the people that I spend time with because I noticed that in some of the circles I was in I wasn't really getting support in fact I was getting comments that would make me question what I was doing and, and take the energy out of what I was doing as well and you do see a better result at the end of it because I've noticed that with the current music for example that I've brought out it seems to be doing better than than anything I've done before normally I have to to beg people to share stuff and people are, are just sharing it without me even asking which is like okay what's happening here but um at the same time it's like we are always learning and and you mentioned about therapy as well and it's important that we do take the stigma away from therapy um therapy is actually something I've also done as well because I think it's about get into a place in your life where you, you recognise there are areas of improvement that can be made and there is no shame in wanting to better yourself and your experience. So I, I wouldn't definitely recommend that to anyone. But the book is coming out. You've, you've got me involved. I'm very excited about that. We, we speak about the relationship with clothes and with children and encouraging them to have a better outlook in life. What is your favourite part of the book, except for mine, obviously? And uh -huh. also remind people where they can get it and when it comes out. Because I saw on Amazon it was um, number one in the Movers and Shakers charts, which is crazy, right? Yeah, it was. Oh, my gosh. When, yeah, when I saw it was number one on the Movers and Shakers chart, that was within like 24 hours of the announcement um, that it was available for pre-order. And I cried because like so much went into writing it and I care so much about the subject matter of the book it was like beyond my wildest dreams that people like I hadn't actually thought ahead to people actually pre-ordering it when I finished writing it I went through this whole period of like oh my gosh what have I done no one can read it like I have to just like cancel the whole thing like a major like moment of like self-doubt and and then I got to the point where I was like, okay, actually, I think this is good and I'm ready for people to read it. And I'm ready. I think it's actually going to be useful and help people. And actually, you know what? I'm proud of myself for having written it. And that takes a lot because I'm often, 
I like I'm often like my own worst critic and quite like you know critical of like my work or myself so to be able to get to that point was like big and then to see that other people were ordering it was like amazing um so yeah body happy kids how to help children and teens love the skin they're in is out um the publication date is the first of april and it's available to pre-order now everywhere so um amazon waterstones like all the usual places and if you are overseas um so it's being published in the uk and the commonwealth so you can buy it on amazon like for example in australia and stuff um but if you are in um a country that's outside of that area you can get it on um book depository and they offer free shipping worldwide i think um you know, until if if hopefully it will get picked up by publishers in in those countries as well. But you know, anyway, it's it's yeah. And and my favorite part of the book, I don't think I have a favorite part because it is every chapter so different. So um, what I really tried to do with the book was bring like a really broad perspective to the subject because I'm not, uh, despite often getting like invited you know, to talk about this subject, you know, for like public speaking or interviews or whatever, which is amazing. And I'm always so flattered. I'm not an expert, you know, I mean, who is an expert? What makes an expert? Um, what I am is a journalist. I'm really good at interviewing people. I'm good at learning about subjects. I'm a good communicator. And so I think that what I've done with this book is I've interviewed such a broad range of people from so many different backgrounds, you know, from psychologists to doctors to nutritionists to scientists you know like an academics um I've brought like a, an activist such a different range of different people who are who are you know real experts in their own areas because body image is such a massive nuanced subject and you can't talk about it without talking about things like clothes and language and social media and how we talk about health and, you know, how systems systems of oppression impact how people feel about their, how children feel about their bodies, you know, and all these massive, big, meaty subjects to also talking about, you know, toys and TV and film and all of those kind of things as well. Um, and so, yeah, every chapter is really different because it really zooms in on a different aspect of this subject to hopefully give a really broad view with like really practical tools because there's like a little toolkit at the end of each chapter with an activity that adults can use yeah I don't know I mean I did love I, I the chapter that you're in is the final chapter which is all about clothes and fashion and that was a really fun chapter to write because although it is quite like a parts of it are really serious it's also quite you know, like a, a light-hearted subject in a lot of ways. There's a lot of joy in that chapter. I mean, there's joy, I think, throughout the book. It's not like a super... It is serious, but it's also funny and inspirational and gives a sense of hope. But I think in the last chapter, um, it was a really fun chapter to write. And I really enjoyed, you know, like um, kind of really delving into the kind of complexities of how like clothes are made and how they design them and how they look at like when they're doing sizing for children but then the fun stuff about like how dressing up can impact your mood and how like fancy dress how how that is such a massive part of like children's development and stuff and it's just like such a fascinating subject I wish that I could have written more 
but I had a word limit so I couldn't write as much as I would have liked to but yeah it was a fun chapter. It's great that you've said that um I think this year is all about finding the fun again like if I relate it to my music I remember when I first brought out my first EP it was called Reality and um it was quite dark sounding and the lyrics were very serious and I used to think that in order to be successful you had to be very serious about everything and it's like now I'm bringing out a new EP called Alamo Mode and when I was writing it I just my, my sole purpose was to make fun music again and just to be fun and yeah obviously some of the subject matter like you say in your book it is important and you want to get that message across but it doesn't need to be in a way where it's it's boring and it lectures us and I think that's why you'll agree that diet culture is, is so bad because it, it focuses on punishing people as opposed to rewarding them when at the same time there is a way to, to get there and enjoy the journey and not the destination. I've absolutely loved having you on this podcast and um, the last question I always ask people is why did you decide to do this podcast with me and what do you think of the work that I do? Oh gosh well I was really flattered to be asked because um, I, like, I've, I've listened to some of your other episodes and you've had amazing people on so I felt really flattered to be asked you know and be able to like you know be among some of those amazing other people that you've had on um but mainly I wanted to do it because I really love you you're already a good friend and it was just really nice to see your face and you know I'm like working from home not seeing many people at the moment although I've got this book coming out and I'm doing a lot of um like promo around it um it's not the same as actually having a chat with a friend and I guess we've been recording this so it is a podcast but it hasn't felt like I've forgotten at points that we've been recording. So yeah, it was it was really nice to speak to you. And I'm just constantly inspired by your purpose and your work because you're so you're so creative and you just put yourself out there constantly and that's really inspiring to see because I think that in this like like kind of culture that we live in where it's easy to care so much about like what other people think of us all the time and like that can be really creatively stifling where people end up don't making music or they don't write the start the book or whatever or they don't wear the outfit because they're so worried about what other people are going to think of them and they're worried about is it going to be like received like with loads of success or are people going to judge me for doing this and what I always get from you is that you're just constantly putting yourself out there giving you know in a in a completely open way um and that's really inspiring you know because not everyone does that so thank you <laughs> oh, thank you Molly lovely words as always I hope we can do some more things and I, I anticipate a series of books from you in the future but definitely not at the expense of your mental health but keep doing yeah. what you're doing and and thank you for your time because I know how busy you are juggling everything I do think that a lot of people listening will relate to what you said whether they're a mother or not I mean I I resonated with so much of what you had to share as well so I appreciate that thank you for tuning in to J Sky Chat the podcast please like favorite and subscribe and follow me at J Sky Chat on social media and another thing Check out worldofjsky.com for all things JSky. Yeah. 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 Yeah.